megalomaniac type uh, pharaohs who wanted everything a uh, certain way and to build, uh, erect statues to themselves and all kinds of other things. And so they were slaves and that they, weren't, they were not paid to do it. They were slaves, so they had to do it. And um, they begin to cry out and they were very, very uh, much in turmoil. The Bible says they begin to mourn before God and cry out before the Lord with, with these, these groanings, the Bible says. And that God had mercy upon his people. Now, they were enslaved because of their disobedience. They continued to disobey God under the leadership of Abraham. And that's how they ended up in Egypt in the first place. They were, they were taken captive there. And, uh, but God heard their cries. And he said they've suffered enough. And he raised up and already had in mind to raise up a deliverer by the name of Moses. Most of you know him or have studied about him. Um, and so uh, he was raised up in the house of uh, Pharaoh, and he learned all the systems and the, the ways of how the Pharaohs operated and, and all of how that they conducted their business. And so he was very wise, a very astute man. He grew up in luxury, not like the rest of his brethren, which he, he was a Jew. And um, so... Uh, one day uh, he takes control. God calls him by a burning bush and says, you know, uh, you're there to go into Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. And a series of 10 different plagues that, that come upon Egypt as a result of Pharaoh hardening his heart, God finally gave him the victory and they were released to go out into the wilderness. Now, this is an, that's all incredible. I'd love to teach you about that tonight and just get into it, but we're not going to be able to for sake of time. But they, they stripped the wealth of Egypt when they left. So all the wealth went with God's people as they walked into the wilderness to there, uh, to there to erect an altar to worship God and sacrifice in the wilderness. God would not allow them to do it in Egypt, but outside of Egypt. And by the way, Egypt is symbolic of the world or the world system, of which the New Testament tells us to stay out of, that we're in the world, the Bible says, but we're not what? Of the world. So we don't act like the world. We're not to talk like the world. We're not to, uh, we do business with the world, but we do it, we do it um, by the way of the kingdom of God. We do it by the way of the integrity of God's word, the way he raises us up. So we're not doing it the same way the world does. And so the, Egypt is always a type of the world or the world system. Pharaoh is always a type of Satan and our satanic system. And um, how that God's people were in bondage in Egypt, in the world. The cruel taskmaster was Pharaoh, who is Satan. This is how we, we draw this together. Then one day God sets them free, which when you and I became born again, which we're talking just about that in just a moment. We became born again. We were set free. We're now no longer in the world, come on, but of the world, but we're not, but we're now been set free of sin and shame and guilt and condemnation. And aren't you glad you're saved? Praise God. And we get to go to heaven. Hallelujah. It's awesome. It's an awesome reminder every day in prayer. Before we start prayer, we should thank God for our eternal salvation that can never be annulled, always going to be there as a covenant. And so, um, and so uh, they, God allowed them to be set free, just like he allowed us to be set th free through Jesus, our Moses, or our deliverer. All the Old Testament is is types and shadows of a better covenant through Jesus Christ. So that's how we draw, the, draw those conclusions tonight. So um, then God says, but my real, my real journey for you, my real um, reason for bringing you out is not just to get the hard taskmaster off your back, Satan, but to bring you in. I didn't bring you out for you to stay out. 
I brought you out so I could take you in. Amen, somebody. And that place is called the what? The promised land. So God had a promised lamb to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lamb that was claimed back by them, but because of the sin, all those, all the, 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 um, all the people under them, the, the sons and daughters and all of them went into bondage. And so it was now unclaimed land. And so they had to go back and reclaim the territory. I'm just here to tell you that God's made precious promises to you and I. And sometimes we wonder, why aren't those promises come to pass? Because somebody's got to go in and possess them and reclaim them. But most of the time, we don't want to go through to reclaim them. It's because they're big, bad, ugly beasts called giants that have squatters' rights in their mind to the property, and they ain't just going to give it up without a fight. And so to visually see that, a giant uh, can be intimidating. And you don't want to go through, and you don't want to put yourself through that. You feel like you're small in their eyes, just like the children of Israel said, we love to go in, we like to fight the people, but we weren't told there were giants, 8, 10, 13 feet tall. We didn't know it was like that. We're not able to go in, and uh, we're small, the Bible says. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're too small to go through. Well, Jacob, uh, 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 Joshua and Caleb came back and said, no, they're so big. We might be small, but they're so big. We can't miss them. So they knew God had an ultimate plan. God knew exactly what he was doing when he raised up Joshua and Caleb, of course. But then there are giants that are on this land or these promises. And so they had to learn how to fight. And most of their learning how to fight was by faith. Learning to fight by faith. Because God had a plan, but it wasn't going to be conventional, most of it, the way that they thought. And so the same way is true for you and I. If we're going to receive the promises of God, we got to learn how to fight. Amen, church. Now, I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater, greater rather, and mightier than you, so God says, I want you to go in and possess. Possess what? In other words, possess all that's been promised you. In other words, it's not enough to just get a promise from God. You need to attain the promise of God. You got to go possess it. Everything that belongs to you, your inheritance, your prosperity. See, the problem is, what we don't understand, I'm, I'm going to be preaching too soon, I think, but I'm here to tell you, the problem is, is that we look at God as if he won't bless us, but will bless somebody else. But we don't recognize that those folks pressed in in a manner that most people don't do. And so what we got to do is learn how to say, I can't just fall back on this thing. I can't not do this. I've got I've to move forward. And so prosperity belongs to you. Healing belongs to you. Deliverance belongs to you. Wisdom of God belongs to you. That business endeavor belongs to you. That education belongs to you. And so on and so forth. Remember, Israel is our example. We can look back and see them, the children of God then, the children of God today. And God says that there, are, there were seven nations mightier than you. The Hittites, Girgashites, Ammonites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. All themites. Someone say amen. These were the nations of the giants back in those days. Intimidating forces of military warfare that have been doing it since they were youth. And tonight, we're going to deal with the Hittites. 
the Hittites. And we'll probably get through all these um, over the next six weeks, uh, if not more. I got a lot of things I want to share. But the name Hittite means terror. T-E-R-R-O-R. Terror. It really can be looked at as a spirit, the Hittites. As a spirit that terrorizes in order to bring fear, confusions, and discouragement. Let me say it one more time. So this Hittite means to terrorize. Terrorize means to bring fear, confusion, and discouragement. How has ever felt any of those three things? How has felt all three of those things at one time? Praise God. A lot of times, it'll all hit us at one time. We don't get fearful, but we also get confused, and we become very discouraged very quickly. Uh, here's the deal. Tonight, I believe, I'm going to say this by faith, we're going to deal with the giant of fear. And we're going to bring him down. Who's with me tonight? I want to bring down this giant of fear. And I want to stir up the gift of faith of God that's inside of each and every one and challenge that thing to come on out. You are a warrior ready for war. You're not someone going to turn tail and become a coward and run for your life and run for the hills. God has put a warring spirit on the inside of you. Come on, church. There's all kinds of fears that the Hittite spirit tries to inflict upon the people of God to confuse them and to discourage them from moving into the promised land. And the first one, I'm just going to mention some tonight. The first one is the fear of death. The fear of death. If you're a born-again child of God, church, you've got nothing to be afraid of. Death should not be something you concern yourself with, praise God. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, it says this, Paul said this to the church of Philippi, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had another look on death. He didn't look at it as something that was despondent or, or, or discouraging or dark and depressing or, or there's the end of the road and so, oh, that's all we got. No, he understood that death was nothing more than a door into another reality and it's closer to God than we are right now. Come on, somebody. Those that have went on before us, trust me, they got it better off than we got it. Y'all didn't hear me. I said they got it better off than we got it. Unfortunately, we have hooked ourselves to material things, and that's the way we think. But thus are those that are born again, we need to have our mind not only on the things of the earth, but the things that where we're going one day to be with him forever. Come on. We got to balance the two out. Because when we balance it out, then we're not afraid to go through the door. He said, so to me, to live is gain. And basically, that gain is your gain. Because I'll be your apostle. But to die, can't be afraid of that. Because that becomes more gain than to live in Christ. 2 Timothy 1.10 says this. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus abolished death. What does that mean? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Everybody say the same. That through death, Jesus might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Jesus actually goes and releases God's people from death or the fear of death. Why? Because it brings 
bondage. Most people go to bed at night wondering, will they make it tomorrow? Will they be alive the next day or after? And it causes great bondage in their life. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible, talking about our bodies now, has put on incorruption. Ooh, I can't wait to put on some incorruption. This body needs it. Hallelujah. And this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall, uh, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Here it is. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? When I recognize and realize that I cannot die, that the body might go by way of the grave, but I'm going to live forever and forever and forever. You better learn to love me. Because you're going to see me forever and ever. Come on, somebody. That's why you got to get along with your, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Hallelujah. I got a theory. If you don't get along with them now, you, he'll put a mansion right next to your house. Praise God. And you got to get along with them there. Hallelujah. The giant of fear can affect people in such a negative way until it brings destruction in their lives. People fear being rejected. That's another big fear. Rejection. But you know how you combat that? You combat that by learning to bring other people into your world. In other words, if you don't help rid rejection with somebody else, come on, y'all. Come on, you got to help me a little bit tonight. In other words, if you don't learn to go out of your way to bring people into your life, why would anybody go out of their way to bring you into their life? And so we're always looking at it through the eyes of rejection because if I try that, I might get rejected. If I invite them here, I might get rejected. But that's nothing more than a, that's nothing more than a spirit. Like the Hittites, that giant, always keeping you away from the promise. Why is that important? Because you have to understand, you're never going to get to the promised land alone. Even Moses couldn't get there. I said even Moses couldn't get there by himself. Did you hear me? Even God said one day, he said, I'm done with these people, the stiff-necked, rebellious people. I'm done with them. I'm going to leave them out here to die. And with you, I will start a new people. And you will go in to the promised land. Even Moses couldn't go in by himself. He's still got to connect with the right people. That's just good, solid preaching right there. So you want to get rid of rejection? you got to go out of your way to make sure people don't feel rejected in your life. Fear of not being liked. Kind of the same thing in a way. In other words, you don't have friends. I found out that if you, if you want friends, you got to show yourself to be friendly. Get that giant down in your life. Quit crying to God saying, I ain't got nobody. Nobody likes me. Nobody, you know why nobody likes you? Because you're unlikable. You present yourself in such a way that nobody wants to be around you. You can't be telling people, cross your arms and say, I'm looking for a friend. You want to be my friend? You can't do that. Come on. Nobody wants that in their life. But instead, you look for opportunities to be friendly to somebody else. I think I said it on Sunday. You know how you get the favor of God in your life? When you do a favor. <sighs> That'll preach right there. When you do a favor for somebody, that's when favor comes in your life. Until then, you don't get it. Everything's by sowing and by reaping. That's why I want you to start giving in the kingdom of God, giving to the house of God, to further the kingdom of God. It's the Bible. It's what the Bible says to do. And unfortunately, people don't get it. And they wonder why they're in their life. They don't have anything. You got to learn to be a giver, man. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever man sows that, he shall also what? Reap. Hey, man, I'm going to preach it. I think I will preach it. Fear of being trapped is another fear people have. Fear of being trapped. Never going to get out of this problem. Never going to get out of this health situation. 
Never going to get out of this uh, financial problem in my life. Never going to get out of this relationship. I'm always going to have the same issues over and over and over again, feeling trapped. And when people feel trapped, they, they almost always make wrong decisions. That's why it's always good to, get good to get good counsel from somebody else that's been there, done that, and got the bag of potato chips. Someone say amen to that. Am I right? So you can't let, allow fear to, to, to wreak havoc in your life like a giant keeping you away from God's promises. Many times, the very thing that's got us trapped more than anything else is our own mind. All the devil's got to do. You know, when I look at it like this, I look at it this way. We give the devil probably too much credit, although I don't mind putting them down. Amen. I don't mind blaming them. But sometimes I think we got to understand the source. The devil is definitely involved. He is our enemy, no doubt about it. But we got to recognize sometimes that we can be our worst enemy in a me. Come on, somebody. It's the enemy in me. In other words, I can become my worst enemy and my mind be filled with the wrong thoughts and patterns of thinking. And it's like a merry-go-round. I remember merry-go-rounds when you were a kid. I don't even think they had them. I think they outlawed them, didn't they? They should because they're dangerous, man. You know, I'm talking about the thing that spins, you know, the merry-go-round, right? And then, no, you don't remember those things? There's steel. Remember there's steel? Y'all don't remember the steel slides? They used to have steel slides. We were kids. Amen. You couldn't wear shorts. You couldn't say, what's that smell? We're cooking. <laughs> you couldn't go down because you're just like your skin would just stick, right? You know, because you're just on fire. And, and they made everything with steel back. They, they last forever, but they hurt people, right? And so the merry-go-round, and you get your friends on the merry-go-round, right? And you get spinning that thing. And you try to stand, remember you try to stand in the center so you can stand the longest. And next thing you know, kids are just flying, pew, pew, flying everywhere. It's dangerous. And, um, but I noticed during that merry-go-round that once you got to spin as fast as you could, guess what you had to do? To keep it going, all you had to do was every now and again, just go like this, pew. You didn't have to run around it anymore. You didn't have to do any muscle. You didn't use any much sweat. Just every now and again, when it comes around, they hit that bar and bang. And you kept it spinning at the same speed. It's kind of like the devil when he does things. It's like we get things spinning in our own life. We get out of control. Our thinking's not right. We mess things up. And all the devil's got to do is now, all he got to do is come around and just boom and spin it once in a while. Just keep things really out of control in your life. Amen, somebody. I'm trying to give you a visual of what might be going on in your life right now. Fear attacks the mind. And it brings anxiety. Anxiety causes all kinds of problems in your life and in your body. And that's why we get on medications. Because of anxiety. We got more meds right now for anxiety than probably any other sickness in people's lives. Because, they're, because why? They feel that their lives are out of control. And when you feel like you don't have control, you get anxious. Panic attacks or whatever they call them these days. Or just built up, pent up anxiety. Right? And you'll do anything to get away from it. I got a scripture verse for you. Y'all ready for this? This is going to help you because it's life. You got to pour life in where this situation, the problem is. And here it is. Be anxious for nothing. I'm not scolding you. I'm helping you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, that's what you need right now to get rid of that anxiety and anxiousness. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind, heart and mind, through Christ Jesus. Here's the revelation, y'all. Here we go. Be anxious for nothing. That word ain't going to tell you nothing that you cannot do. So if he says be anxious for nothing or don't be anxious about anything, what that means, that means you can control the anxiety. Come on, y'all. You can breathe. Breathe, and then thank you, Lord. I give you praise right now. You got to stop and be thankful to God in those moments. Come on. You got to pray. Let God touch your life. Am I preaching okay? Is this all right? Fear has got to come out of your life. Why? Because fear can also, can also mobilize you. And it can also immobilize you. So if it doesn't help you and get you, because fear sometimes can get you from one. In other words, a, if a spider drops in your lap, come on, somebody. How many say, I'm so tired, man, I can't. My God, I can't see straight. Oh, my God. And a spider drops in your lap. Guess what happens? You got energy you didn't even know. Hallelujah. You're standing up and you're like, you're dancing, trying to get, where's that? Where's that, right? You're freaking out, right? But most of the time, fear immobilizes God's people. It's like the proverbial, the deer got caught in the headlights. Have you ever heard that expression before? Fear, the deer uh, got caught in the headlights. Who, who's not heard that before? Fear caught in the headlights. No one's going to admit it right now, but I'm telling you right now. It, if you're, I used, we used to live in a, in a, out toward the country and you had to be careful. You'd be driving, and all of a sudden, a deer will pop out of nowhere. And a deer don't sometimes keep running. He'll see the headlights and stop. You know what I'm saying? And you'll hit a 150-pound deer, and it can hurt. It'll kill the deer, but it'll definitely hurt your car if not, it not hurt you, right? And and so one night we were, we were driving on a, on a road called Happy Hollow toward our house, and um, it's dark out there. It's windy. They were, you know, I'm just trying to get home. And late at night, and all of a sudden, we were talking, and all of a sudden, my wife goes, deer, deer. I said, yes, honey. I didn't know she meant there was actual deer crossing this way. I thought she was just getting upset with me, praise God, for the way I was driving. Deer. And I said, yes, honey. You had to be there. All right, praise the Lord. Move right along. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. In other words, when it comes, with, there's a moment in time where the enemy looks like he's coming to you to take you out. Instead of being frozen, pant. Go for the water brook. In other words, go for the spirit of God. Get in the presence of God where he can't, he'll no longer be able to find your scent. The reason why the deer runs for the water is to throw the scent off from the hunter. Amen. So fear can immobilize you. Fear can trap you in time. Yep. Fear will trap you in time. That's why you talk about the good old days all the time. You're 25 years old. What kind of good old days you got so far? The good old days. You're 25, man. <laughs> good old days were 10 years ago. I mean, come on. Your best days were 15 and 16 years of age. Come on. I want you to hear me tonight. See, that's what fear does. Fear says, I can't go forward. I'm immobilized. I'm afraid. And what happens is people, that's why people have the same haircut from 1985. Mullets are, why? You don't need it anymore, praise God. Am I right about this? I better be careful. 
Because they're afraid. That, see, in their mind, they have a snapshot. That was the best days of my life. And so it's, it was cool to have one back in those days. Now those five wispy things you got combing this way with a long hair doing the back, it ain't working anymore, praise God. Amen. Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Spirit. He will lead me. Amen. We need him. Luke eleven nine 9 says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we want to make it to our promised land, if we want the promises of God to come to pass, we've got to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. We need to ask the Holy Ghost to come up on us. Come on, somebody, and help us and give us discernment. I'm glad this church is a Holy Ghost church. We're not embarrassed nor are we afraid or ashamed to speak in the Holy Ghost and pray for people and let the manifestation of the Holy Spirit move in his house. We need his power. And we need his power to defeat the Hittite giant, that spirit of terrorizing and and, and destruction and and of fear. David defeated Goliath the same way. He did it by way of the Spirit of God. He didn't fight Goliath with a sword or spear. He fought Goliath by, by, by the Holy Ghost because the Holy Spirit, the Bible said, would come upon David and he would go and when he was shepherding his father's sheep and a lion came one time and then a bear came another time and he was able to smite him with a, with a stone and a sling and then go out and kill those animals with his bare hands. The Holy Spirit came upon him to do just that and when Goliath came by, They tried to give him all the great weapons of war Saul did, but none of it fit. It was too big. It wasn't personal enough. He didn't have a revelation. The Holy Spirit will give you a revelation of what you're supposed to do. It don't have to be something big. That's why Samson could get up and kill a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey, something small. But when God anoints you with that small thing, you can take down all of your enemies. And so that's what he did. He took Goliath down. That was all by the Spirit of God. He took the, they say that, the, that these, these, these giants in those days, their armor was superior to everyone else's. 150 pounds. When you weigh 550 pounds, you can carry 150 pounds around. And they said the only vulnerable spot that would have been upon the giant to take him down would have been right in his forehead. And that little stone, when it was released by David, it was released by the Holy Ghost. And it went like a heat-seeking missile and sunk itself right in the forehead. It couldn't miss. All David had to do was let it fly. See, the same thing is true with you and I, with the Holy Spirit. He gives us one word, and it causes all fear to loose us and let us go. And now, all of a sudden, we look like we know what we're doing, and we didn't have a clue what we were doing. (laughs) So what causes fear? They, they say that babies, you know, we're kind of born into it. In this world, unfortunately, we're born into sin, the Bible says. 
even though we're pure, we've never committed sin as a little baby. But we're born into a, a world of sin. And one of the first things that attaches itself in this world to a human being is the spirit of fear tries to. But most babies are, they're afraid of, of two things. They say, number two, one and two things. Number one is the fear of falling. They'll, they could catch themselves. They, they'll catch themselves. They don't want to fall. It's almost inside them. And number two is the fear of loud noises. Take a baby, a loud noise right in their face, and their, their eyes go everywhere. They're, they don't know where it's coming from. They're, they're shaking. They're scared, right? So you, we don't want, we always, we got a baby. We got to be quiet, right? Because we got a baby here. Well, it starts very young is what my point I'm trying to bring across to you. And we have to notice that it, it can, can grow. I mean, it's interesting to me that even as a little baby, the very things, maybe it's just my observation, <laughs> but I notice that the older we get, the more we revert back to being like a little toddler. Y'all don't want to help me on that one. We don't like loud noises. We don't want to fall. Come on, somebody say amen. We start to walk like this. Come on, somebody say amen. <laughs> but it grows inside of us. And when it's undealt with, those fears can manifest themselves in all kinds of different things. And then when we don't have the right parenting, maybe parents that meant well but just didn't have it to give to us and therefore didn't pass it on, we get afraid of so many things. Um, sometimes we as parents can be overprotective over our own kids and we put fear inside them. We don't mean to. We're trying to protect them. And so we say, so don't you go to school that, you know, like that. You might run out in the street and get hit by a car and die. Oh, man, come on. We can, we can come up with 18 different ways of saying that. Come on, somebody. We don't have to go right to death because they got hit by a car today. Come on. Or different things that we say to our children that puts fear inside of them because we want them to be afraid of it because we don't want them to go to it because we know that they could get hurt and harmed by it. But there's ways we can say it. Say, you know what I know about you? You won't ever do drugs. You know why? Because you're super smart. You're smart because drugs do this and that and the other, but you're smart. You have to say, it's going to kill you like I killed your uncle. And, you know, you, and they get that little fear on the inside of them, right? And then they go out and do it. Well, I can get hurt this time. And they keep crossing the thresholds. And, but there's always this, see, fear doesn't stop with one thing. It grows like a mushroom into all kinds of different things. Amen. Amen. Church, we make ourselves sick and drive ourselves crazy sometimes because of fear. We have all kinds of things that pop up in our lives. Tonight, I'm going to give you very quick, because I only have a few minutes with you, four ways to bring down the giant of fear, the Hittite spirit. Number one, watch your words when fear comes. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. I'm scared to death. Please don't say stuff like that. Job 3.25 says this, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. He couldn't help himself. He had to talk about it. He had to open his mouth and give fear a voice. I have no rest. What's his confession? For trouble comes. Amen. When God wanted to create the world, he spoke it. He didn't fashion it first with his hands. He spoke it into existence. We're created just like God 
in his image and his likeness. Words matter. Words are counted. How powerful are words? Jesus said you're justified by them or you're condemned by them. And by the way, if you're born again, you were saved by them. For one believes in the righteous with his heart, but with a mouth confession is made into salvation. Amen. Number two, get rid of that giant of fear. Meditate on what you expect to happen. Meditate on what you expect to happen, not on where you've been. Too many times we end up talking about the mountain and not to the mountain. Jesus says, you want the mountain to move, you got to talk to it. Not talking how bad it is and how big it is and it's so huge, I'll never be able to accomplish this. But instead you talk to it in the name of Jesus. You ain't got nothing on me. Either you're going to move or God's going to cause me to fly over you. One or the other, I'm getting to the other side. We all know someone who once served the Lord and now back in the world. And, and I asked the Lord one time, this is not new to those that have been around for a while, but I asked him one time. I said, why do people go back? I was so perplexed. Why would you ever go back? And the Lord spoke to me just that quick, just like that. He said, because they know how. You see, when we're afraid to move forward with God and we do not have faith to go where he's asking us to go or to do what he's asked us to do, okay, we get fearful and we end up going back to our old lifestyle. Why? Because it's much easier to trace your footsteps back than it is to forge your way forward in the new territory. Jesus said, no man looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the children of Israel wanted to go back. They didn't want to go into the promised land. How many times they wanted to? When it got tough, they keep, they keep making excuses. But those onions, man, those garlics, they were so good. And uh, at least we were taking, we were not going to die in the wilderness. There we at least had graves. So that was all they had. All they, could, they got so wrapped up in nostalgia. Nostalgia is a killer. Always thinking about what you had. Going back to the good old days, Right? And, and never thinking, I can actually go, I can go further than this. I can move ahead. Number three, you got to stay focused on the vision. Stay focused on the vision. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, revelation, the people cast off restraint. He said, the vision, make sure you make it plain, write it down on tablets so people can run with it. He said, for the vision will speak and will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will surely come. It has an appointed time, the Bible says. The vision will come to pass. It may not be in the same form as you thought before, but God knows your heart and knows the intent. It will come. I can tell you this. If I would have thought that my journey would have led me the way it led me to this point, I'd have said, you're a liar. If you told me that, I would have said, you miss God. It ain't God. No way. God would never do that to me. I'd never go through that. Unfortunately, I, it doesn't matter. Whatever God saw fit for me, I just had to say, yes, that's my journey. That's why you don't get jealous about somebody else's life. I wish I had their life. No, you don't. You don't know the pain. You don't know what they went through. And you don't know what they're going to go through. He said, but it would be worth it all to have what they have. Trust me, you say that now, but that's not the truth. The truth is, why compare yourself with somebody that's uncomparable? You're special. You're unique. You are your own person, and your journey is your journey. I used to say, preachers come in here, they said, I've never had this in my life. I thought, wow, that's not my life. I already jacked that up. I don't know. I, I, must, have messed, I must have missed that class somewhere in pastoring 101 because I messed that up already. 
And they say, so I've never been in debt before. I have been, praise God. I got out of it and got back into it again. But I'm getting back out. Someone say, I'm getting back out. I'm getting back out. Things happen. Life happens, right? Some things just take place. But I'm going to work on it. Amen. He did it once. He'll do it again. I like the song. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. So my point to you is, no sense in getting upset. Set, stay focused on the vision. Wait for it. It will happen. It may not be the exact thing you thought, but the thing that's inside of you that burns will come to pass. To defeat the giant of fear, you have to have a revelation of your future. All right? Lastly, number four, number four, rejoice over the good things that you've already done rather than lament over them. In other words, don't cry one tear. Rejoice over the good things. Isn't it interesting that the things we remember the most in our lives are the things that we failed at? Isn't that crazy? Like I got better memories of what I failed at than the good things I did in my life. I got to remind, oh yeah, oh yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day and they reminded me about something that we had done years ago. And it's not that I forgot it, I just haven't thought about it for so long. And uh, I was like, man, that, that was really cool. Well, why don't I think about that? Why do I always got to go to all the negative things? It's in our human nature. And I think it's because, it's, I think it's because, guys, we like pity. We like self-pity. We like to throw a pity party. And reason we think if we pitied enough, then God will see us and think, look how pitiful they are. I just want to help them. Oh, I just want to love on them. And then we wonder, why isn't God coming to the rescue? You want to know why? It's a pity party. You didn't invite him. If you want God to come into your world, invite him in. Trust me, when he comes in, he's the life of the party. It won't be about pity no more. He'll be about reminding you, that's not what I said to you. Yeah, you messed up here. I forgave you. Let's move on. Come on, let's go. You got so much more in you. Let's move forward. Tap your neighbor and say, it's time to move forward. Just say, it's time to move forward. Amen. It is time to move forward. Lastly, David, before he killed Goliath, you know what he did? He rehearsed the good that he had done. He said, hey, Goliath, he said, you come at me with a spear and a sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. He said, I killed a lion. My God, help me. And I killed a bear. My God, help me. And I will kill you this day. I'm going to chop off your head. I'm going to feed your body to the fowls of the air. Trust me, it's going to happen. Goliath might have got rattled a little bit. He thought, who in the world is this kid? But he laughed and said, go for it. And God helped him and bring him, bring him down. But he could have never done that had he not rehearsed the good where God came through and something powerful. I don't care how small it is. Rehearse it. It was good. And that will strengthen you and give you confidence to bring down this giant, this Hittite that wants to bring fear in your life and take you out of the game, take you out of the running, and it calls you to never have God's promises. Life was never meant for you to go from one struggle to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. At some point, you got to get a victory. Go ahead and start playing. I told him last time, don't play me out now, don't play me out. He knows. You know how they do, right? They're good at it. He's a good guy.
My point is this, is that as your pastor, let me boldly say to you, it's time for you to come out of that mess. It's time for you to come out of this drama. It's time for you, for you going around that mountain one more time. You can't stand it. You're so sick of it. You can't see straight. Well, what are you going to do about it? Don't be in fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Well, I don't know what to do. You do too. You know what to do. Last thing and I'm done. I'm good for three closes and you already know that. So this, I think this is the third one. Um, almost always, I can't say 100% of the time, almost always in my walk with God, for me to go to the next place required a step of faith. And that step of faith was always an act of obedience that God has asked me to do already that I didn't want to do. So you can't really sit there and say, I don't know what the next step is. The next step may not be what you think is a connection to your future, but it absolutely is because it's the act of obeying God. So if he says, cut that thing off, you cut it off. He said, don't watch that, you don't watch that. He says, quit drinking or smoking that, you quit doing it. If he says, don't hang with the people, you quit doing that. If he says, no more sex, come on. You're not married, you're not supposed to be having it. Amen. You'll be okay, you'll live. The world will say, you can't live without it. You, they're nuts, they're crazy, they're stupid. Don't listen to that nonsense. Of course you can. You can do anything God anoints you to do. Anything. Otherwise, you're limiting God, right? So I will tell you, usually the next step to your promised land is some act of obedience that maybe either just told you or you haven't acted on yet. But the moment you do, he smiles on that act of faith and the mountain begins to move. And you're going in. So I say amen. Let's all stand to our feet right now. Can we give the Lord a big shout of praise as we're coming up off our seat?